Bible or any Bible in front of you just now, I would invite you to open with me to Ezra, the book of Ezra, Ezra chapter 1. Now, um, my wife, Catherine, and I, we are, as you know, relative newcomers uh, to the city of London. And we're kind of only just beginning to get to grips with your world-famous underground system. We are adjusting, slowly but surely, to this new life of ours, this new life of oyster cards and uh, packed trains and people who will do anything to avoid eye contact with you on a train. And uh, this morning, it kind of feels like we're on the tube. It kind of feels like we're at Bank or at St Pancras or at one of these other huge intersections of the tube where more than one tube line converges. Because... Just now, not only are we continuing our our morning series, you know, looking at the attributes of God and looking at today the sovereignty of God, not only are we doing that, but we're also at the same time taking this opportunity to kick off a new series, a series that we'll be looking at in our evening services, where we'll be looking at sequentially, consecutively looking at the book of Ezra. Now that might seem weird, that might seem a bit unusual to to have two series converging like this, but I promise you it makes sense because there's so much here in Ezra 1 that, that talks about or shows us about God's infinite sovereignty and Hopefully, hopefully, by looking at Ezra 1 today, this will give us a kind of taster of what we're going to be looking at at night. It'll give us a taster about this book of Ezra. Because I promise you folks, the book of Ezra is an exciting book. Now, how can I promise that? Well, it's because Ezra is a book written by God. So I would encourage you to, to, to come out to the evening services if you can. Ezra is a book that, that deals with the problems that the people of God face. It's a book that deals with the priorities that the people of God should have. So it's incredibly relevant to us. And above all, Ezra, like every other book in the Bible, it is a book about Jesus Christ. So, if you can't, come out tonight. If you can't, come out next Sunday night and the Sunday night after that. And let's all of us gather together at God's throne and hear what he has to say to us through his word, through the book of Ezra. Now, before we we get into the the real bones of chapter 1, Um, it would be wise to set the scene, wouldn't it? Because what's going on here? Who is this 
uh, guy, Cyrus, that's mentioned? What is the background to all of this? Well, Ezra chapter 1, it takes place in the 6th century B.C. 6th century B.C. Now, I'll be even more specific than that. Uh, the immediate background to Ezra 1, um, it takes place in the year 538 B.C. And what happened was that, that, that Cyrus, that we just read about, he is the son of Cambyses I, and he rose to prominence. Um, he, he united the Medes and the Persians. And uh, the immediate uh, background is that he fought and defeated the Babylonian Empire. And he did that in the year 539. So have you got that? Cyrus rises to prominence, unites the Medes and Persians, and defeats the Babylonian Empire. Now, I promise that the, his, the historical detail will kind of flesh out more and more as we look at the book of Ezra over the next few weeks uh, at night. But the main thing to note, and the main thing for us to get straight in our heads just now, is that just before chapter 1, the people of God are in exile in Babylon. The people of God are being held in captivity in Babylon. So this is remarkable. This is just the most monumental moment for the people of God in Ezra 1. Because here, they're being allowed by Cyrus, this new ruler, to return home. Okay? So that is the background. So let's get to uh, this wonderful passage of Scripture. And let's look at a few things that we learn about the, the, the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. And folks, the first point this morning, point one, is that God is sovereign over time. He is sovereign over time. And strangely, the, the, the first thing that we need to pay attention to is really a verse in Jeremiah. It's in Jeremiah because we read in Ezra 1, verse 1, that all these events surrounding Cyrus, what does it say in verse 1? All these events were in order to fulfill the word, the word of the Lord being spoken by Jeremiah. So, if these events here are fulfillment of what Jeremiah said, what did Jeremiah say? Well, I'll read it to you, okay? Jeremiah 25, it says, um, well, God says to the people that they will serve, get this, they will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years, 70 years. But when these 70 years are fulfilled, God will punish the king of Babylon and his nation. Okay? Jeremiah also says in chapter 29, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and will fulfill my gracious promise to 
bring you back to the land. So if you got that, folks, 200 years before the events of Ezra chapter 1, 200 years before these events, Jeremiah prophesies that the Babylonians are going to be dominant over the people of God for 70 years. So guess how long the Babylonians were dominant over the people of God. Have a stab in the dark. Well, they were dominant over the people for 70 years. Now, isn't that remarkable? Isn't that just the most incredibly accurate prophecy? So how is that possible? Well, it's possible because our God... He is sovereign, and he is sovereign over time. You see, folks, such is the, 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 the supremacy, such is the sovereignty of God that he is free to act as he wishes. He's absolutely and truly free. He doesn't have to worry about time. Time's nothing to God. God works out with time. He doesn't have to worry about answering to a higher power. Why? Because there is no higher power than God. So folks, there isn't a split second, not even a split second in in the universe that is out with the control of God. There isn't a disease. There isn't a dark corner of the earth. There isn't a a planetary orbit, there isn't a weather formation that is outside the control of our sovereign God. He is sovereign over all. So when God says the people will be under uh, Babylonian dominance for 70 years, guess what? The people are under Babylonian dominance for 70 years. Our God is sovereign over time. So even now, right here, at this point of the sermon, let's try and apply that to where we are today and our situations. So permit me to ask you, friends, do you believe in the sovereignty of God. Now, I know you're going to say, yes, I say yes. I, I believe in the sovereignty of God. But are you actually submitting to God's sovereign hand? Do you submit to his sovereignty? Just take the battles that you're facing just now. I don't know what they are. There might be health issues. There might be unemployment. There might be a a shadow of a family problem hanging over you? Are you becoming impatient with God through these things? Are you worried about this thing? And are you worried that God is not quite as sovereign as you thought over it? Is God not answering prayer quite as quickly as you would like or that you would have hoped? Well, friend, don't despair. Because God promised to free these people from captivity and 
free these people he did. He knows exactly that situation you are in. He knows every single detail of that problem. And he is sovereign over it, completely and sovereign over it. Spurgeon, I'm sure we all know who Spurgeon was, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Well, he said this. He said, there should be no attribute more comforting for the people of God than his sovereignty. No attribute more comforting for us than knowing that God is sovereign and that God is sovereign over time. Now, I um, I read a blog post at the beginning of the week and it was written by a member of the Conservative Party. Um, but I am in no way expressing any political uh, leanings or aff- affiliation there. I'm just noting that I, I read this, this blog post. And the article, it, uh, it asked a really interesting question. It was titled this. Is the current government at Westminster, is it the most anti-Christian government that the UK has ever seen? Is the current government the most anti-Christian government that the UK has ever seen? And the author really seemed to suggest that it was. And he cited what he saw as evidence. He he cited the government's position on same-sex marriage. He cited the relaxation of Sunday trading laws and these sorts of things as evidence in his eyes that the current government is anti-Christian. So let me ask you, you're a Christian in Britain. Are you worried about that? Are you worried about the route that the government is taking? Are you worried, perhaps, that that God seems to be losing control over this country? Are you worried that God is not sovereign over the UK? Well, if you are worried, please be assured that that is not the case. As we look at our second point this morning, and that is that God is sovereign over rulers and authorities. God is sovereign over rulers and authorities. Now let me tell you a wee bit about the Cyrus character, because he was some bloke. Um, He was no ordinary ruler, far from it. See, Cyrus, when he united the the Medes, the Peds, the Medes and the Persians, when he united them, he governed the largest and the grandest empire that the world had ever seen. Now, this was an incredible empire. This stretched from the Aegean Sea. This stretched from Greece uh, and Turkey in the west, right across the globe to India in the east. Now, just picture that from Greece to India. What a, an incredible, what a, 
a, a, a vast empire. What a powerful ruler Cyrus was. But just look at it. Look what happened to this incredible ruler. You see, God used him, didn't he? God used Cyrus to fulfill his own purposes. Look at verse 1 again. Look at it. Verse 1, halfway through. The Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation. The Lord moved the heart of Cyrus. Do you not think that's fantastic? Do you not think that is the most incredible thing? That God used Cyrus. That our God rules rulers. That he has authority over authorities. And to the extent that in verse 2, Cyrus acknowledges that any power that he has, that it comes from God. And God does that time and, and, and time again uh, throughout Scripture, doesn't he? Um, he uses pagan powers. He, he uses ungodly rulers to fulfill his own purposes. And a, a great example of that is in Daniel and the book, uh, the book of Daniel and King Nebuchadnezzar. So if you know your Bibles, I'm sure you do. You know who Nebuchadnezzar was, don't you? Nebuchadnezzar was a, a ruler that was just so pagan that he erected a statue made of gold 90 foot high. He was so pagan. But look how God uses him. I'll read out some of Nebuchadnezzar's words. He says, Then I praised the Most High. I honored and I glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. You see, God was sovereign over Nebuchadnezzar. God is sovereign over Cyrus the Great, over the ruler of the largest kingdom on earth. So why? Why do we worry about Nick Clegg? Why do we worry about David Cameron? Why do we worry as Christians about Ed Miliband? You see, God has not abandoned us. God has not lost control or lost his focus. God is sovereign. He was sovereign over Cyrus the Great. And God is sovereign over our coalition government. He is sovereign over rulers and authorities. And folks, don't think for a second that God somehow reacts to the rulers and authorities. He doesn't react to the situations that are going on. He doesn't wait to see who will get elected. Or Barack Obama's been elected. Okay, I'll take it from there. That's not how it works. God didn't just use Cyrus because he happened to be in power. God is sovereign. He ordained 
all these things to pass. He ordained that Cyrus would come to power and that he would be used. And he has ordained that the UK government will be in power. He knows and has known about government policy since before the creation of the world. That's how sovereign our God is. So folks, if you are worried about the UK, take comfort from from these words in Colossians. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for So don't despair. Yeah, by all means, pray for our government. Pray that they would pass Christian laws, that they would recognize the supremacy of Jesus Christ. But whatever happens, don't despair, because our God is sovereign. And he's sovereign over rulers and authorities. So, folks, what have we seen? We've seen point one was that God is sovereign over time. Point two, God is sovereign over rulers and authorities. So let's look at a third thing. And and this is, in many ways, the most important point this morning. Point three, God is sovereign over the heart. God is sovereign over the heart. Now, I could be wrong about this, but I think that the idea of a gap year for students has become somewhat passe, has it not? Um, A few years ago, it used to be the done thing that a lot of students would take time out, wouldn't they? Um, They would head off between school and university to some, some remote part of the world in a charitable venture or some humanitarian project. But it's not quite as common as it, as it, as it once was, I don't think. Um, my friend did that about 15 years ago. He headed off into the sunset um, with a, a, an organization. And the purpose of his gap year was to help build a school in a local village, a remote village in Africa. And he said about that experience when he came back, he said that the whole experience was so eye-opening. He said that Africa was just so picturesque, that the people were just so amazing, that sometimes he forgot that he was there to build a school. Sometimes he forgot the purpose or he lost sight of the purpose of the trip. And I think if we're careless when we read Ezra 1, that we can miss the purpose of the trip. We can miss the purpose the people have. Because The Lord didn't just move the people's hearts 
to come back to the land. That's not it. Look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. It says halfway through, Everyone whose heart God had moved, they prepared to do what? They prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. And and that's why this sermon series that we're going to be looking at in the evenings, that's why it's called the priorities of the people of God. Because you've got this people, and after their time in exile, after this, this really horrible, difficult time in captivity, they've got this chance. They've got a chance for a new chapter. They've got a chance for a new beginning. So what do they do? They assess their priorities. They assess what is important in life. And what do they come up with? What are these people's number one priority? Number one. What did God move their hearts to do? They went up to build the house of God. Their priority was the worship and service of God. So is that the same for you? Is that the same for me? As we get up in the mornings, is our sort of number one most daily pressing concern, is it how we serve God that day? Do we pray about these things? Do we pray, how can I serve God at work? How can I do that? Do we pray? Do we pray, how do I serve God at home? And how do I serve God here in this place? In this congregation, do you pray about that? Because God didn't just move the people's hearts to return. He moved their hearts to return to him to serve. And then a second thing, and this is the last or sub point, the last thing this morning. And really, this is heartbreaking. This is devastating. The second thing that we should know about God's sovereignty over the heart is that some people's hearts weren't moved. Some people's hearts weren't moved. Just think about that. It's staggering. You see, only a small number of people came back. Only a relatively small people, 49,000 people returned to the land. Some were given this freedom and they ignored it. They said, no, we are going to stay here. Why would they do that? Well, I'm not going to go into details of why they might do it. But I am going to mention some of the very possible reasons why people stayed where they were. And if you are not born again in Jesus Christ, if you're not a Christian then consider if any of these reasons are the reasons that you have not come to God. So what were these reasons? Why did the people stay where they were? They had this freedom. Why stay? Well, some had actually prospered in captivity. They'd been taken away to Babylon, but they'd actually become very materially wealthy. And I'm sure that some were reluctant to give that up. So that's one reason. A second reason, some would have thought it was too risky to return. 
you have Babylon and you have Judah. And there were a thousand miles or so between the two. That was a treacherous, treacherous journey. Too risky to return. And then a third one, the last one. Some perhaps didn't see their need to return. You get that? They didn't see their need for it. See, they were the people of Israel. Regardless of where they were, whether they were back in the land or in Babylon, they were still the people of Israel. So some may not have seen their need to return. And I would only say to you, friend, do not be one of those people. Do not be one of those people. Do not be too scared of giving up your material wealth that you don't come back to God. Don't be too scared of the risks of it all, the risks of suffering, the risks of ridicule, that you don't come back to a sovereign God. And don't, don't be under the misapprehension that just because you are from a Christian home or because you are nominally, generally Christian, that that somehow reconciles you to God. Because our sovereign God He has declared that there is only one way to him. And that is through his son. So if you have not done so, hear this. Come back from exile. Come back to God. Repent and believe in Jesus So this morning we've seen that God is sovereign. He's sovereign over time, sovereign over rulers and authorities, and sovereign over the heart. But I'll just close by asking you whether you see, when you read through that chapter, do you see the parallel, the great parallel with salvation? Do you see it? And if you don't, consider Cyrus. Consider him. Because Cyrus is really just a forerunner of one who is going to come. He is just a forerunner of a ruler who is truly sovereign, a ruler who lived among us, a ruler who could truthfully claim that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You see, folks, if you take anything away this morning take this away that in Ezra chapter 1 we see a picture of how through the actions of one man a whole people have the opportunity to be free through the actions of one man People have the opportunity to be free from bondage. And just as last week, we saw that God's holiness is most clearly displayed in Jesus Christ. So today we see that God's sovereignty is most clearly displayed in his son, in Jesus Christ. And Cyrus the Great has got nothing on him. Because our king is sovereign. 
He is so sovereign, such is His sovereignty, that yes, there's a cross. Yes, there is blood on the ground. But there is also an empty tomb. So, on Remembrance Day, remember this. Such is our King's sovereignty that you can be set free from sin. Such is His sovereignty that He is sovereign even over death. Let's pray.